All right, on our journey through the book of Acts, we've seen a lot has happened. We've seen the church has grown. We've seen uh, it's, it's grown in crazy ways, but we've seen the church has managed and fought through opposition, both from the outside and uh, from the inside. And then again, persecution from the outside. What we know is that the enemy is always at work to try to stop the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's at work to try to stop the church. Uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the church of Jesus is the plan A for getting the gospel to the world. That's what uh, the God, ha- God has ordained is that the church of Jesus Christ is plan A. It's not uh, some parachurch organization or a missions institute or anything like that. Although God uses those things. Plan A is the church. So we're here today as part of God's mission, and we are uh, aware through our study in the text in Acts that uh, we have an enemy. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 that our enemy is working to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he tells us, and he warns that um, Satan is is working to steal your joy, to to kill the, the movement of the gospel, and destroy you. There's nothing more defeating to the church than division and infighting. Division from within and infighting. That's what we're going to find in our text today as we look at it. Um, Jesus said in Mark chapter 3 that a kingdom that's divided against itself will not, somebody know? Yeah, will not stand. A kingdom or a house, he says in Mark 3, I think verse 25, a house that's divided against itself cannot, will not stand. So this internal division is what we deal with uh, in our text today. See, we're, we're meant to be united in our pursuit of the kingdom. But sometimes we find ourselves divided by problems. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 6. So would you take your Bible and find your way to Acts chapter 6. We're only going to read seven verses. And as you're going there, I, I titled this message today, Growing Pain. Uh, does anybody remember the show? I, I looked it up last night just to see if I could recognize the theme song. I played it, uh, and I was asking um, the, my kid's grandmother is here with us today. I was asking her, uh, hey, do you recognize that theme song? And she's like, oh, yeah, I think that's the one with, uh, with Kirk Cameron. And I was like, yes. Do you know what it's called? And she's like, no. It's called Growing Pains. So uh, anyway, that's where we are in, in the text this morning. We're looking at Growing Pains. The Church of Jesus has grown in radical ways. It started with 12. You know, Jesus chose his 12. He spent three years with them. And then it grew to about 120 is what we saw at the beginning of the book of Acts. That's about how many are gathered there, about 120. And then in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes and fills the people of God. Peter preaches a message um, and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000. So the church has seen some radical growth. In Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John see a lame man and they heal the lame man. And uh, A crowd gathers and Peter's like, hey, I know what to do when a crowd gathers. So he preaches again and 5,000 more people, the Bible says, believe. Now how amazing would that be? Every time you preach the gospel, if thousands of people believe. Well, it, it is amazing and it causes some problems. So these people who are gathering, um, there's some problems happening. I want you to check out some divine mathematics for a second. I was looking at this. I thought this was really interesting. 
Um, The Bible says in, in the book of Acts that God added to their number day by day. So God is all about addition, right? The Bible says in Acts 4 that they were multiplying. It actually says that multitudes of both men and women. And so God adds, God multiplies. And then in Acts chapter 5, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked and we saw that actually when Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie to God, that God actually subtracts sometimes, right? Uh, he, he struck two people dead to subtract, you know, to purify the church. We talked about that. So God adds, he multiplies, he actually subtracts, but God never divides. That's the work of the enemy. God doesn't do division. That's the enemy's work. And that's what we're going to see today is uh, that when division is happening, uh, the people of God and, and God establishes leadership for uh, at least a few reasons. And we're going to walk through those today. Division is the work of the enemy, and we must be on guard against that. Would you stand with me as we read from Acts 6? We're just going to take the first seven verses, and we'll walk through this passage together. We finished up Acts chapter 5 this way. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, thank you for your word. We ask you by the power of your spirit to guide us into all truth, to use the truth we find in this text to sanctify us as your people and set us apart for your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so just to summarize this passage really quickly, the the church has experienced some growing pains. Um, But these growing pains uh, show up in the form of a complaint. There's a problem. So these problems, what we find, are resolved through a recommitment to priority and to raising up other leaders, servant leaders. So the priority of these apostles was... We will not, we cannot abandon the ministry of the word to serve tables. Now, 
This wasn't a prideful thing. It wasn't an arrogant thing. These apostles weren't saying we're too good to wait tables. We need to be preaching. We don't need to be serving tables. What they were saying is God has given us a mission and we can't lay down our mission to take care of all these many needs. So these apostles refused to be pulled away from devoting themselves to prayer and preaching just to take care of practical needs. What they were saying is the mission matters. But, and they also say, so does ministry, and so does uh, management of the people of God. So what they did is they raised up and entrusted leadership to seven servants. Uh, this is commonly talked about as a place where deacons are first introduced. The, the, the Greek word diakonos for deacon is used twice in this passage, but this is, it's not really used as a title. So this is not necessarily the official place where deacons are established, or, although maybe it is. But um, later on, Paul writing to Timothy and to Titus, we, we do have the, the title of deacon and all the things uh, that qualify a deacon listed out there. But right here, it's very short. It's just uh, bringing on some new leaders. They don't really, they're not worried about names or titles or anything at this point. They're just trying to bring on people to take care of the need. So they raise up servant leaders. What they say about these leaders is that they must be of good reputation. And, uh, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. They must be filled with wisdom. So they appoint these seven men. And then to, to summarize at the end, what we see is that the mission advances and the kingdom increases greatly. So it's a very short little summary. Um, you might would say this is a, um, a problem sandwich uh, because at the beginning you have uh, and the, the church increased. If you look at it right in now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, you have this idea of increasing at the beginning. And then in verse seven. Uh, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. So we have growth and growth. But what's in the middle? A problem, <laughs> right? That's strange that we have a, a problem sandwich in this text. But it's a problem sandwich that maybe the bread is made out of like cinnamon roll or Krispy uh, Kreme donut or something like that. Because it's growth and growth. And right in the middle is, uh, is a problem, is obstacles. So what I want to do is just walk through this text together and talk to us about how God raises up leadership in his church to manage problems and to advance the mission. So here we go. If you have your uh, teaching guide, we'll walk through this together. First thing I want us to see is that God gives leadership to maintain unity, to maintain unity. If you think about what's happening in this text, you have a complaint that's brought up by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. So we actually have some ethnic issues going on here. We've got the Hellenists who are Greek-speaking Jews. Um, they've been uh, scattered out into other areas, other cultures, and they've, they've taken on the language of the culture they've been scattered to. And now they've come back to Jerusalem and they still speak this, uh, this Greek language, they're coming back into, into the area where the church is in Jerusalem. And there's Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews. And now all of a sudden we have a culture conflict. We have some 
uh, social issues. And what's being brought up here is that one particular group is receiving preferential treatment. And it's an ethnic issue. I don't know if that sounds um, relevant to our day, but it just happens to be. And so here we have a problem that could cause massive disruption in the ministry. So this complaint comes up, and how do the apostles handle it? Well, they handle it as people who realize that maintaining unity is a big part of their mission. One of the hardest jobs is that of a peacemaker. I'm not talking about a placator. I'm talking about a peacemaker. And the difference would be uh, somebody who placates in problems is they're just trying to make everybody happy. Let's just pretend this never happened. Let's push it aside. And um, uh, are you okay? Are you happy? Okay. Are you okay? Are you happy? That's a, that's a placator, right? That's not what's happening. These are peacemakers. And what they do is they get to the root of the problem. They deal with the issue and they address it specifically. So the apostles are peacemakers. They're not just trying to please people. They're actually trying to solve a problem. In our world today, unity seems very hard to come by these days. It seems that um, we need to relearn uh, a lesson that my granddaddy Jack would call uh, mountain versus molehill. Somebody know where I'm going with this? I used to spend uh, summers with my grandfather in South Alabama. My dad would say uh, that they were sending me to L.A. I don't know. I mean, L.A. I was like, L.A. And he was like, lower Alabama. I was like, L.A. (laughs) But uh, I'd go spend the summers with my grandfather in South Alabama. And uh, we would come across a problem inevitably. And I'd get all worked up about it as a young teenager. And he'd look at me and he'd say, hey, boy, you don't have to die on every hill. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. You ever heard that? That's really good practical wisdom uh, from Granddaddy Jack. You can log that one away. He, uh, he taught me a lot, but he's very practical as a leader. And he, he'd say, look, don't, don't get all worked up. Don't get all wound up over, over the little, little things. Somebody else said, don't sweat the small stuff. But this is no small problem. These apostles are facing a problem that potentially could divide the church. I mean, you've got Greek-speaking Jews versus the Jew-Jews, right? The, the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And they are, they're sort of button heads. They're saying, look, they're getting, they're getting special treatment. Their widow's needs are being met and ours are not. And there's this inner turmoil. It's division within the church. So what do we see? Well, godly leaders, I want to give you two things right here that they do. They see the problem. A godly leader doesn't ignore issues. I'm going to be very, very practical today because the scriptures are very practical for us. So a lot of the things that we're going to be teaching and talking about today are applicable across the board. If you're leading in your business or leading in your home or leading in some other platform, godly leadership sees the problem. We don't ignore issues. We don't pretend it's not happening. We see it. We step into it. One thing I I want to acknowledge here is the apostles don't take this personally. You know, it came across personally. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, they, they defend themselves. They say, hey, it's not right for us to lay down our ministry to serve tables. So there was an attack against the apostles. 
You guys are not treating us fairly. That's an attack. But the apostles don't take it personally. They step back from it and they say, listen, the church has just simply outgrown our ability to meet every need. So practically, we need to do something about it. So they didn't take it personally. And and I think maybe there's some lesson to learn on this side of it. Sometimes I think we have a complaint. We we feel um, personally attacked. And so we have a complaint to bring up. But what we need to see right here is this particular issue is not a sin issue. It's just a, a limitation in leadership. I don't feel like the apostles are intentionally um, pushing aside the, the, the Greeks. It's not an intentional thing. It's not a sin problem. It's just a limitation of leadership. So as a person who sees the issue or a complainer, it'd be good to depersonalize. So the church has outgrown the apostles' ability to meet every need. It doesn't mean these needs aren't legitimate. Ministry is needed here. And so secondly, these godly leaders, they see the problem. They set priorities. So what do they do? The Bible says that um, they say. Verse four, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, as a leader, it's easy to get sucked into every issue. Something about my pride, for example, when there's a problem, I, I want to be, I want to rush to it and be the hero. I want to fix it. I want to uh, jump into it and be kind of Superman. And whatever, whatever it is, we're going to try to fix that. I'm going to come to the rescue. But these apostles resist that urge. Or maybe they're just humble enough to realize, you know what, I'm not Superman. Um, it's going to take somebody else to manage this issue. We must be devoted to these things Not that those things don't matter. It's just we must be devoted here. So they set their priorities. Those priorities became guides for them. It helped them to say yes to what they knew God was calling them to do. And to say uh, no to some other things. And in this setting, they're not saying no. They're just saying not me. Right? It's not that what you're saying doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. It's just that I can't be the one to uh, to step into that issue. Let's raise up somebody else to handle that. So they're saying no, they're just saying not me. Practically speaking, here's some good principles for us. Um, the apostles knew what Jesus had called them to do, and they were unwavering in their commitment to both prayer and preaching the word. These priorities determined their yes. They're saying, yes, Lord, we will be devoted to prayer. We'll be devoted to preaching. And anything that comes in that wants to pull us away from that devotion, it's going to have to be a no. This is the the beautiful thing about godly leadership is that priorities can determine your yes. If you have a hard time saying no when someone asks you to do whatever it may be, maybe it's because you haven't set your priorities. Priorities establish parameters. Um, This is a pretty good saying I heard this week. Once your priorities are set, your best yes will come through your nose. I don't mean the nose on your face. (laughs) I mean your best yes will come through how you say no. You know, in order to say yes to something, you actually need to say no to other things, right? Everybody agree with me? 
We've been really practical today, right? So in order to say yes to being in this room today, you actually have to say no to a lot of other opportunities. There's something called opportunity cost. And we always make that decision based on what matters. What are your priorities? For these apostles, they say we must be devoted to prayer and the preaching of the word. And anything that takes us from that, sorry, it's going to be a no. So let's talk about those two priorities quickly. First, prayer. This is a posture of humility. It's dependence. It's, it's an expression of need. We affirmed last time we met that all you need is need. And I love that these apostles, the leaders, the foundation of the church, they haven't moved beyond that. They recognize that they're, they're only going to lead as far as they need. Right? You can only be leading if you are needing Christ. So this posture of prayer, it's finding yourself on your knees before God. And embracing your weakness and his strength. Um, this weekend, a great saint and theologian, uh, a man who's inspired me greatly with his writings, uh, J.I. Packer, went on to meet the Lord. I don't know if you've read any of J.I. Packer's work. But um, he, uh, 93 years old, went on to meet the Lord this weekend. And um, one of his particular writings that uh, he made a video about later really impacted our elders here. Uh, several months ago at an elders meeting, uh, Russ came in and he said, man, I just need to share this video with you guys. And it was called Weakness is the Way. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I encourage you to watch it. It's a 93-year-old man whose body is frail from age and illness. And he says on video in multiple ways, embrace your weakness. Because as the Apostle Paul said, in your weakness, he is made strong. So his message is weakness is the way. Well, these apostles, through their devotion to prayer, that's what they're saying. They're saying we need God. We can't do what he's called us to do apart from him. So prayer is a posture of humility and dependence. It embraces your inability and accesses God's ability. And secondly, they are devoted to preaching the word. You know, this is the mission of the church. This is what gives the church its identity. It's, it's who we are as a people. We are people who preach the word of God, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must never abandon preaching gospel truth. You know, so there's a trend in uh, popular churches today to, to just talk about you know, trendy things or social issues or um, all the things that all the people want to hear. And the Bible actually talks about that. It says that there's coming a day when men will seek out teachers who are just going to scratch their itching ears. What, what we need to embrace, what we do embrace as a church is that we will be a people who always preach the word of God. Always preach the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. These apostles, um, it's not that they're saying food pantries and homeless ministry and service projects don't matter. They're saying all those things matter. But we must preach the word of God. So these problems, the problems that arise are met with priority driven leadership. 
The apostles are committed completely to their calling, but they don't overlook the issue. So secondly, the second big uh, point I wanted to mention today is that God gives leadership to meet needs. So to to maintain unity, there, there was potentially a big issue coming up. The apostles step into it. They're not just trying to make people happy. They're actually trying to solve a problem. They step into it. And the reason they step into it is because leadership meets needs. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen that the Spirit moves powerfully through the preaching of the Word and through the amazing community of believers. So the people of God, we've talked about this several times because Luke gives us in Acts 2 and again in Acts 4, he says um, that they were of one accord and they were selling their possessions and giving to anyone as they had need. And we read through those passages and we're just amazed at the sense of community and generosity and all of the radical aspect of community. Well, the church is radically meeting the needs of the people through uh, the Spirit of God. What Jesus said was, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And that's coming true in these disciples. But as the church exponentially grows, it has outgrown its leadership. Needs are not being met. Ministry is going undone. And this is a problem. The apostles see it. And so what do they do? Well, godly leaders seek participation. So they see the problem. They set priorities. They seek participation. What we see in this text is these apostles, they don't think, well, you know what? We'll handle this. We'll just, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll just manage this issue. No, there's no lone rangers in uh, servant service to Christ. There's no Superman leaders. Um, I read this this week. I thought it was good. It said, it's better for one man to put a thousand men to work than for one man to do the work of a thousand men. Listen to that again. It's better for one man to put a thousand men to work than for that one man to do the work of a thousand men. He'll burn out. There's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus. Uh, it happens in chapter 18 where Moses has led the people of Israel through the, through the Red Sea. They've, they've uh, crossed out of Egypt and they're on their way into the promised land. We're going through the wilderness and there's all kinds of problems. Lots of complaints. People complaining about food, complaining about lodging, complaining about you know, this or that issue. And it seems that all the problems are coming to Moses. He's having to manage between all the issues. I mean, think about thousands of people. And Moses, the, the, the prophet of God, the leader of God, is having to, to tell um, Harry to give uh, Peter his donkey back. You know, give him his donkey back. You shouldn't have taken that, right? And, and Moses, the leader, the prophet of God, is having to manage all of these divisions and problems with the people. And Moses' father-in-law comes and visits, and he's there with, with Moses, and he's watching Moses for a few days. And um, the end of the day, day comes, and Moses is exhausted. He's, a, he's sat with hundreds of people and helped them resolve their disputes. And he comes in at night, and he sits down with Jethro, his father-in-law, and he says, Whew, what a long day. And Jethro says, yeah, what you're doing is not good. It's very clear in Exodus 18. Jethro looks at Moses and says, what you're doing is not good. God has given you a mission. You need to raise up some other people to do all of that. You need to be the one who's hearing from God and giving the word of God to the people. 
You need to raise up some other men to settle these disputes. And Exodus 18 is a great picture of godly leadership that seeks participation. And what we see with these apostles is the same thing. They, they bring those who complain into the solution. I don't know if you heard that. Uh, but that actually, our elders here in this church are really good at this. All right. So if you find yourself as a complainer, um, uh, unless you want to be a part of the solution, you don't want to come talk to our elders <laughs> because they're going to hear your complaint and go, oh, that's a, you're right. That's a good problem. So what's your plan? How do you want to step into that? OK, you're going to be here next time to fix that, right? They're going to pull you right into the solution. And that's good. That's godly leadership. If you see it, maybe God wants you to meet it. If you see the issue, God may want you to step into the solution. And that's exactly what these apostles do when when a problem, a complaint comes to them. They say, you know what? You're right. They are being overlooked. So what you need to do now, that's how that goes. What you need to do now is you need to go pick seven men from among you who can manage and help lead over that issue. Because we have a mission God's given us. We're not going to abandon preaching and praying. Not that what you're saying doesn't matter. It's just not going to be us. It can be you and the seven people you choose. Bring them back to us. We'll lay hands on them and appoint them to this ministry. These godly leaders seek participation. And church, what I want us to hear from this is that as the kingdom of God grows, it can't grow under the same system of leadership. Leadership has to grow with the kingdom. More and more people have to take take on the yoke of the burden. More and more people have to look around and go, you know what? There's something that needs to be done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step in and serve. I'm going to step in and make myself available. More and more and more people are needed as the kingdom of God expands. So these men that are chosen, they're, they're servant leaders or they're lead servants rather. The people are challenged to set forward seven men who have certain qualifications. They give them three things. Uh, They must be men of good reputation. Men of good reputation. Just in summary, what that means is that they love well and they're well loved. That's what good reputation means. That they love other people well. And that other people see them as respectable and love them. The second qualification is that they're men filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I mean, all they're going to be doing is, is serving and waiting on tables. Why, why, why do they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, they're not preaching. Why do they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We, we talked about this Wednesday night. had a really good discussion um, in our Wednesday night gathering. And uh, it, we were reminded about, um, well, I'll tell you in a moment, but let me ask you this. If you were responsible for feeding the people, what all's involved in that? Is it just taking the food and distributing it? Maybe. But we know that the people of God are selling possession and bringing their money, right? And laying their money at the feet of the apostles and they're taking that money in and buying the goods and groceries that are needed and distributing as any has need. So why would someone need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we were remembering on Wednesday um, 
when Mary brought the, the jar of expensive perfume. And she broke the jar of perfume and she poured it out on Jesus' feet. She washed his feet with her, with her hair. There was someone in the room who didn't like that. Anybody remember who that was? Judas. Do you remember his complaint with this issue? He said, uh, hey, hey, that, that perfume is worth a lot of money. That's a really expensive perfume. You know what we could do with that perfume? We, with that money, we could have fed lots of children. See, the, the disciples, the apostles are accustomed to taking their money and funneling it into meeting needs. They're accustomed to that. But John chapter 12 tells us that Judas really had no interest in feeding the children because he liked to put his hand down in the money bag. Men filled with the Holy Spirit are led by the Holy Spirit. They're concerned about the things the Holy Spirit is concerned about. They're submissive to what God wants to do with the resources. So men filled with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, men filled with wisdom. Um, I would point you to James chapter 3 about this. We don't have time for this now, but our elders read through this passage a few weeks ago. And just studied through and talked about the different attributes of wisdom from above. Not earthly wisdom, but wisdom from above. I encourage you to read James 3. That's what we're talking about here. These men are of good reputation. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom. So the apostles delegate leaders. And what we see is that those leaders actually care deeply about this problem. They care deeply about it because they're actually Greeks. Every one of these men, Stephen and uh, Timon and Nicholas, and uh, all of these men are actually Greek names. So they're going to care deeply about this injustice or the sense of injustice because it's their people. I love what's said after this. Um, This is a sign of really godly leadership. Verse 5 says that they... uh, It pleased the whole gathering. I love that. What had the the potential to be great division is now brought into great unity. The people are pleased. The whole body is pleased with these decisions. All right, lastly, God gives leadership to maintain unity, to meet needs. And then lastly, most importantly, God gives leadership to advance the mission. To advance the mission. So... Let's remember, this is the story of the Holy Spirit empowering the witness of believers. It's the story of Jesus continuing his kingdom work through his apostles and now through his church. And what we see is the church is expanding. It's growing. The kingdom of God is advancing. This is all about advancing our mission. So in our text today, we see how a problem actually becomes an opportunity for growth. I want us to think that way because when we look around at our world, when we think about church right now, I mean, we're, we're wearing masks, we're socially distanced, we're, we have a lot of issues. I mean, we, our elders talked this week about, hey, it's, we really need to observe the Lord's Supper. And we're trying to think, okay, how can we practically, how can we do that in a way that's safe, in a way that's honoring, and in a way that's not neglecting what that's supposed to represent, the, the body and the blood of Jesus and eating and remembering Christ. How can we do that in this season in a way that is is good and healthy? And we want to do that. We're just trying to troubleshoot because problems are actually opportunities. There are obstacles. Godly leadership can turn obstacles into opportunities. 
So here's what we see. God is advancing his kingdom and godly leaders. They see problems. They don't ignore them. They set priorities and they live by them. They seek participation, bringing others into the issue. And lastly, they show progress. They show progress. I want to point you to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, it's 1 Timothy 4.15. 1 Timothy 4.15. And Timothy, uh, uh, Paul's writing about Timothy. And this is what he says. He, he encourages Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. And look at the last phrase. Say it with me. So that all may see your, what? Progress. It's not about perfection, is it? It's about progress. I love this passage in terms of leadership and mentoring. It's about progress, not perfection. So in order for people to see your progress, they actually had to see your weakness, right? They had to see your struggle in order to see your progress. Growth requires a low point in order to to get a high point. So Paul's saying to Timothy, in order that all may see your progress. And what we see with these apostles is that they've made great progress. The last time they were with Jesus and had a feeding issue, feeding, thousands of people are gathered and they're all getting hungry. And the apostles turn to Jesus, the disciples, they look at Jesus and they go, hey, you know, we should probably send these people away because they're going to want food and we don't have it. And Jesus is like, well, go get some food. And They're like, that's going to take like a year's wages to feed these thousands of people. And Jesus is like, what you got? Well, we got this little boy's lunch. I don't know if you remember the story. The disciples struggled in that moment because they saw themselves as providers. They saw themselves as the source of the solution. But they've grown tremendously now. They're no longer the superheroes they thought they were, knowing their own limitations. We can't do this. It's going to cost a fortune. Jesus says, let me show you something. I'm the source. Remember what he said after he fed everyone? I am the bread of life. I'm the source. You just be a steward and I'll be the source. These apostles have shown great progress. When a problem comes up, they don't, they're not like, oh, look, we just got to send this away. This is too big for us to handle. They know it's too big, but they look to the source. They entrust themselves to the source. And what do we see? We see that the church increases. That's how the problem came about. And we see that through godly leadership, it continues to multiply, continues to multiply. I want to tell you that um, there there's a two pronged plan of God and we see it in this text. And this is where we'll finish. God's two pronged plan is, is this gospel communication. He wants the gospel proclaimed. And as a church, we will never shirk away from talking about how we are sinners. God is holy and loving and He came to us. He sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Jesus died in our place. He died the death that you deserve. He rose from the dead to offer you a hope that you could never earn, but you can rest in Christ. That's the message of the gospel that we will never pull away from. We will always hold tight to that gospel communication because it's our identity as a people. It's who we are. But the second thing we see is it it matters. Through the book of Acts, we see that God is building a gospel community. 
And when that community is in danger of division, like it was in this text, God wants His leaders to shift around to maintain unity, to meet needs, and to advance the mission. The community matters. Remember Jesus said they're going to know you by how you love one another. So this body of Christ matters to God. God is using both the message of the gospel and the the ministry of the community to make a great impact. A really powerful impact. Look at the scripture one more time. The very last bit of verse verse 7. Here's what we see. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is really remarkable because the priests were the biggest enemies of the gospel at this time. Remember, the priests are the ones that were arresting and throwing the disciples in jail. But because the people of God are resolutely committed to gospel communication and gospel community, the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit is penetrating even the darkest place of their society. And God is doing exactly what Jesus said he'd do. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Jesus said specifically, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that good? Here's what he's saying is um, the church of Jesus is on the offense. You know, gates are not offensive in nature. They're defensive in nature. And he's saying that the church is going to advance its mission. I'll build my church and the gates of hell, even the darkest places of your culture, are going to be penetrated by gospel communication and gospel community. So let's be a people who are devoted to that. Let's be a people who, when we see problems, uh, we become part of the solution. Let's be a people who... Trust our leaders and give grace to those who are struggling through navigating to maintain unity, knowing that probably the issue may not be a sin problem. Maybe it's just an issue of limitation in leadership. Um, let's, let's be people who lean in to community best we can in these days. All right, we'll trust God to grow His kingdom.